very distinctly heard three gunshots ring out. My brain processed so much in such a fraction of a second, picked up my two youngest boys, one under each arm, picked them up so fast that I literally pulled one of them out of their shoes. Listen up, gang. Lucky Gunner has both fantastic content and great prices on ammo. Enjoy the convenience of online purchase and crazy, super fast shipping. Experience why Lucky Gunner is one of our favorite spots on the Gunternet. Get-asp.com forward slash Lucky Gunner. And while you're there, you'll find Magtech Ammunition. Magtech is the exclusive range ammo for the active self-protection team, and we are grateful for their commitment to quality and support. You can buy Magtech ammo at the Lucky Gunner link. Remember to tell them that you heard about them on the Asp podcast. All righty, gang. Welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am your host, Mike Williver, and I remain your favorite former Fed, whether you like it or not. With us today, Phil Buckles. He is from Albuquerque, New Mexico. He is married with three young kids, and he is a busy man. He owns and runs two companies. One is an accounting business. That is his uh, his stock and trade, and also a company called Bosque Tactical, B-O-S-Q-U-E, Tactical, and they offer all sorts of um, high-speed training there in Albuquerque. Phil, thanks so much for coming on. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mike, for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's 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 my pleasure. You know, without folks like you reaching out with your stories, and once again, I'll tell the listeners, in your email, you're like, I didn't think this story was really worth telling until I heard another episode of the podcast, and that's what I'm hoping people will realize is that we have everything from fatal shootings, uh, machine guns pointed at cops to uh, someone, you know, almost pulled their gun at a dog park. Like that's, it, it's, that's the range that we have. So uh, if you think your story is remotely worth telling, hit me up, Mike at ActorSelfProtection.com and let's talk about it. So talk to us about your self-defense background. You told me before we started here, you, you're an accountant by trade. So at some point um, you went from being an accountant by trade to moving into the firearms instruction world. So when did that start for you? Yeah, so I mean, I always grew up around guns. My stepdad was a cop. Um, he was the investigator for the county we lived in. Uh, I'm from the Minneapolis area originally, mm-hmm. um, so he was a, a deputy sheriff detective for one of the counties in Wisconsin that we lived in, out, just outside of Minneapolis. Um, so I always grew up hunting. Um, was always comfortable around guns, and then not long after I turned 21 and got married. Um, I got my concealed carry license in the state of Minnesota, where we lived at the time, um, and have just always maintained that concealed carry license since then. Um, in the last few years, you know, as the world's gotten a little more interesting, um, I've gotten more into just keeping up on it more and being more prepared. Um, watched Active Self Protection for years and love learning from everything that you and John talk about. Um, and it's just slowly grown since then. And so I started Bosque Tactical a couple of years ago um, because I wanted to take that knowledge that I have gained um, over the last few years and help other people come along that same journey, um, be able to get their concealed carry license, be able to defend themselves, their family, um, and things like that. So it's just been a slow journey that has picked up substantially in the last couple of years as, as I've grown this, but it's been great so far and a lot of fun. And, so that leads me to a good opportunity for a couple of plugs for some active self-protection um, uh, events that happen every year. Uh, the active self-protection instructor cohort might interest you as an instructor. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal course. Uh, most of it's remote. There's one in person um, in South Dakota, and they teach you how to teach adults. And you will I don't care how long anyone's been instructing, you will learn a ton from this class. Uh, also, 
the Active Cell Protection National Conference, which is in Kansas every uh, September. So that benefits the Flint Hills Foster Teen Camp, something else you might want to consider, uh, both Phil and anyone listening. So with that said, I have to ask, you moved from Minneapolis to Albuquerque. So what is it that draws you to high crime cities? Yeah, it's not the safest city in the world here. Um, my wife's family slowly moved down here over the last couple of decades. And we were the last ones to make the switch following her family here. So okay. Now we all live within a couple of miles of each other here in Albuquerque area. Well, good luck in Albuquerque, folks. If you live there, uh, go check out Bosque Tactical because you might you might need the uh, might need the training uh, and the experience. So, uh, talk to us about your first gun. I like to ask. Uh, people like you, your first gun. Did you choose a good first gun and first holster? Talk to us about that. Um, it's funny. I was actually listening to last week's podcast and you asked this question. So it got me thinking about it. Um, my first gun was actually uh, um, well, my first handgun. Uh, my grandpa gave me a 22 bolt action rifle when I was like 10. So that was my first gun. Uh, my first handgun was given to me by my stepdad. It was his duty weapon. And when he retired, he was given the opportunity to purchase it. Um, and I still have it. It's a SIG 40. Um, I don't hardly use it because the ammo is hard to find. And I don't really, I don't even think I have a holster for it anymore. Um, first gun I purchased was a Ruger Security 9 in 9mm. Um, and that was only a few years ago. And since then, my collection has grown substantially um, with a bunch of variety. But most of it's 9mm. It's easy, it's cheap, it's convenient. Um, and Effective. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So John would want me to ask, is there an HK in that collection somewhere? There is not, but I have a few friends who keep bugging me about that, and I think that's probably next on my list. Yeah, they're they're fantastic, and they've been they've been a friend of the channel for for a long time. So, talk to us about the incident. Uh, I read through your email, and but I I, I want to kind of learn about it along with my audience, as is my want. So, about how long did this happen? Where were you? What were you doing? And just kind of walk us through what happened that day. Sure. So, as I mentioned, I'm from Minneapolis area originally. Um, since moving to Albuquerque, my wife and I have had our three kids, and we. For the first time, they are currently eight, six, and four. And for the first time, we brought them back home to show them around, show them you know, where we grew up and all this. Um, so we were back visiting Minnesota. This was June of this year, so just a few months ago. Okay. We had flown into Minneapolis. We drove up to Duluth. Uh, it's about three hours north. Um, it's, it's a decently sized town, um, but it still has kind of the small town feel. Um, and it's a place my wife and I loved to go when we lived there. Um, and we were just having a great day. We were being tourists. We were showing the kids around. Um, there's a big Harbor there where gigantic boats come in. So we were down watching the boats come in. Uh, we'd gone out and had dinner. It was just, it was a beautiful June evening in Northern Minnesota. Um, and as I said, I'm a concealed carry holder have been for many years I don't, I don't even leave my house without it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this was no exception. I had done everything I needed to checked it, brought my, brought it with on the plane, um, was carrying in Minnesota. Um, and we were headed back to our rental car. It was about nine fifteen at night, probably. Okay. Uh, we were just walking down the sidewalk. Um, and I remember everything like it was, 30 minutes ago, as happens usually with these types of situations, I would imagine. Um, 
my wife was on the phone with her mom. We were just walking on the sidewalk, having a great evening. We had just come to the corner of a building where the building stops and it opens up into a parking lot area. Um, and we were about a step past the end of the building when I very distinctly heard three gunshots ring out. Um, talking about it with my wife later, she's like, I had no idea what those were. But, you know, as those of us who've done this for a while, the, the sound is unmistakable. Yeah, you're like, I've heard that before somewhere. Yeah, exactly. In half an instant, I knew exactly what was going on. Um, you guys talk a lot about how when these situations occur, time will either speed up or slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can definitely speak to that. My brain processed so much in such a fraction of a second. Um, I knew where the shots were coming from. I knew where all four of my family members were, my wife, my three kids. Um, I knew which direction was safest for us and what to do. Um, so I yelled run as I was turning around, um, picked up my two youngest boys, one under each arm. Um, I think I said this in the email, but picked them up so fast that I literally pulled one of them out of their shoes. Like his sandals stayed on the sidewalk where we were. Wow. Um, just took off dead sprint, 180 degrees away from where this was happening. Let me stop you there for one second. So this, you, you recognize, you radically accept reality, as we like to say around here, and, exactly. and realize, okay, this is a bad situation. I need to get my family out of here. Do you remember what you said or communicated to your wife? And had you ever had a discussion with her? I don't know if she carries as well, but have you had a discussion with her about, hey, if you know we're out and about and something goes down, if you see me draw my gun or, or we're getting robbed or whatever, I want you to do A, B, and C. So did you talk to her in that moment and say anything, or did she already know? Um, she did not know. We haven't, I mean, we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but I haven't had a formal discussion. Um, and I actually been thinking about that in the last couple of weeks, that that's something that I really need to do because I have all this training and I know what to do, but if she or the kids don't know how to respond and, and, you know, act, act correctly in that moment, then it could be all for naught. Right. This is um, a training point I'm trying to drive home and maybe you can take away to your classes as well. If you're the defender. I'd love to see you and your wife both be armed defenders, frankly. But if you're the defender in your family, this is a conversation you need to have and have it today. If you're the person who carries or who's, you know, at least carrying pepper spray or something, uh, you need to talk about a game plan. You would, you know, you would talk to your kids about what to do if your house catches on fire. Uh, so if you're, if you're wise enough and, um, invested enough in your own self-defense to carry a tool like a firearm or pepper spray, it's a good idea to talk to your, talk to your family about it. So anyway. Exactly. Um, yeah. So like I said, we haven't had that conversation. My wife is very supportive of me caring, but she didn't grow up around guns as much as I did. So she's just not as comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. I almost have her convinced she's, she's right there. I think I'm going to run her through one of my classes come this spring and then she can start carrying too. Um, but no, we hadn't had that conversation. And the only thing that happened in that moment is I just yelled run, um, And even though we hadn't had that conversation, she knew enough to respond and not ask questions and just did it, Mm -hmm. Um, which I don't, there's no way to know what could happen if, you know, if we didn't, um, you can always second guess these things. Um, So who knows what would have happened if, if she hadn't, you know, listened and she froze yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Cause like I said, she was on the phone with her mom. So she was. Totally distracted and oblivious and, you know, through no fault of her own. Why wouldn't you be talking with your mom about what our day had held? Um, 
So she was just in a different mindset than I was. So in this moment, you're now hauling the mail down the street, carrying two, your two smaller children and your older, is it a boy or girl? The oldest? They're, they're all boys. Okay. So the oldest boy is, he's just, you just leave him there. I mean, I got two, two's good enough. He's eight. He can fend for himself. <laughs> he, uh, he was, he was closer to my wife. Um, so she grabbed his hand and they both were, you know, half a step behind me. Hauling tail down the sidewalk. Also. Gotcha. Okay. So what happens next? Yeah. So I went back and, and mapped it out. Um, so it was about 50 yards, the length of the building. Um, so, and then the building opened up into another parking lot on the other side. So we run as fast as we can down the length of the building, turn around that corner. So we're now um, behind a brick building for cover. Um, I put the two kids that I'm carrying up against the wall my wife and my third son arrive and she stands in front of them. So they're with their backs to the wall. She's like, you know, being mother hen, corralling them, keeping them there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go back to the corner so I can look back down the street where we had come from to see what was going on. You know, I'm peeking my head around the corner, um, watching for, for more threats, trying to figure out what happened, what I need to do. Um, but looking back on it, I think it's interesting that in that moment, I knew what I had to do was protect my family. And the best way to do that was to run away. Yep. You know, I didn't have my gun on me. Um, I had my gun plus my extra magazine. Um, but at no point did I even reach for it because I knew in that moment that that wasn't the right situation. That wasn't the right choice to make. Um, so that's just, you know, it speaks to training and doing those mental reps that you guys talk about all the time. Um, I, I do that a lot. Think about if this, then what mm-hmm. in this situation, where do I go, what happens? Um, and I hadn't, I can't say I had done it in that moment in that location, but doing it over the last few years, um, just builds that muscle memory. And so your body just kind of reacts and does what you've trained it to do. Yeah. Mental reps are a real thing, folks. I'm, I'm sure some people giggle when, when you or I say it, but uh, a mental rep is, is the most, is the easiest and most inexpensive training you can do. And you can do it anytime you want. You can do it lying in bed. You can do it in the shower. In fact, there's something I haven't done. If I'm in the shower and some stuff goes wrong in my house, what am I going to do? I got to think about that one. I got to keep some emergency chonies like right outside the, uh, right outside the bathroom in case that I got to run downstairs. Uh, although the yeah. sight of me naked might drive a home invader away immediately. So I, I really have to think about this. I'll get back to you. It's a good one. Yeah. We think we both need to think about what to do there. <laughs> All right. So, you look back down the street, um, you, you do a quick peek at least down to where this was happening. And what, what do you see? Um, so I saw a young man um, at the time. I couldn't have told you age or race or anything. Looking mm-hmm. back on uh, through the news stories, he was, I believe, a 14-year-old um, and a 15-year-old were the two uh, parties involved in this incident. Um, and this was the younger one, the 14-year-old. Um, he came out from the parking lot where I heard the shots come from, came out and basically ran across the street where we had been standing. So he crossed the sidewalk we had been standing on, then crossed the street. So he's now um, you know, across on the opposite sidewalk from me. So it's a good job you weren't still standing in that same spot. Yeah, exactly. He would have ran right into us. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows who would have followed him 
or what. Um, and he, so once he makes it to the opposite sidewalk, he then collapses to the ground. Um, and I can't see him anymore because there's a car between us. Um, but I know where he is. So I'm, you know, in my mind, I keeping track where he is still looking down the sidewalk to see if the other person arrived, not knowing which one either both who had the gun where the shots came from just trying to keep track of where everyone's at. Um, and I know uh, it was so backing up a little, it was, you know, it was a pretty occupied street. There were lots of other people there with us okay. um, and then ran down the sidewalk alongside us. Um, so there was kind of a group of maybe 10 or 15 of us kind of hiding out behind this building. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard at least two of them were on the phone with 911 by this point. So I knew that that had been taken care of. It wasn't something I had to do. So I was able to keep my focus down the street, keep an eye out for whatever situation, however it might evolve from there. Um, and thankfully, I never saw anyone else. You know, the the guy who we later learned to be the shooter ran the opposite direction, um, did not come towards us, didn't chase the guy that he was shooting at, because um, that would have obviously changed the situation drastically. But um, so from there, we just kind of hung out hunkered down behind this corner of the building until uh, Duluth PD showed up. They did an amazing, fantastic job. Uh, They were there within probably two, two and a half minutes. Um, So they were obviously very close by when this happened and they did exactly, I don't have any police training and obviously lots of firearms training. My dad was a cop. So from my opinion, they did exactly what they should do. You know, they shut down the street. The first cop got out, walked over to the victim, assessed him very quickly, um, obviously decided that his injuries were non-life-threatening because he pretty quickly then uh, beelined it over to where the shots had come from in the other parking lot. Um, and then over the next few minutes, uh, the rest of the the rest of the cavalry arrived. A bunch more cops showed up. We had fire and ambulance and everyone. Um, so, yeah, it was... It was an intense couple minutes. Um, yeah. But like that training told me that in that moment, it was not the time to draw my gun, even though I could have. Um, but I had not seen exactly the shooting happen. I heard it happen. I knew where it had come from and it was very close, but not actually seeing the shooter. It, you know, my, in my mind, it wasn't the right time and place to, to draw. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. So you beat me to the punch. So is there any any way you can imagine drawing your gun, making that situation any better than it was under those exact same circumstances? No, no, not at all. All that would have happened if I had drawn is, you know, all these people we were, we were running with would have seen me with the gun, the cops show up, and now I'm the person who has yeah, the gun. Exactly. Um, I, I don't think, a, looking back on it, you know, I've thought through it so many times in the last few months, um, and I don't think there was anything that I could have or, sh- or could have. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything I should have done differently. I think it all worked out well and we all made it home safe. That's outstanding. So has this, um, has this changed the way you train at all? Has this amended your training regimen? Do you do anything differently now at the range or on the mat room or anything like that? Um, n- not for nothing, but if you've seen the movie zombie land, you know, the new rule, rule number one is cardio. So being in, in enough shape to, to pick up two kids and haul the mail, you know, 50 yards and not be completely smoked is obviously important. But as far as your tactical firearm self-defense training, has this changed anything for you? Um, I would say it probably hasn't a whole lot um, other than 
I think through those mental reps, specifically about this situation, um, you know, I wouldn't go as far as saying that it's PTS or anything, but I definitely think about it a lot and, and relive it here and there. Think about if it was the right situation. And I keep coming back to that. It was, um, and then I also go to the fact that my eight-year-old was just horribly shaken by it. So he, you know, after the smoke clears and PD lets everyone go, uh, we get back in the rental car, we head back to the hotel, and he just, like, in the backseat is just shaking for the next probably half hour, 45 minutes. Um, and just seeing him in that, in that state was heartbreaking. Um, but still, at the same time, knowing that I had done everything right and it protecting them was was good. But I don't have to think about it a lot. Yeah, I can imagine that would be very traumatic for for a child of that age. The other two kids were they? Did they understand what was happening? Do you think? Um, possibly they were younger, so they're six and four. Um, so I think that they understood what was happening. You, know, I take them shooting all the time. Um, we we have guns around, obviously, all over the place. They know the the firearm safety rules better than most of the people who take my classes. <laughs> right. But being that age, I feel like they understood what was happening, but they probably didn't understand the gravity of it as much as the older one did. So while we're talking about kids, let's talk about kids and guns in the house. I think it's a perfect opportunity. You obviously have guns in your home. So talk to our audience real quick about what you say to them and what you tell them and your, your sort of um, approach to that topic. Cause it's important. And I talk about this with my my uh, concealed carry classes, my pistol training courses. Also, um, you know, I think I think I may have heard this from you guys, but there's basically two schools of thought to it. You can either hide the gun and make it interesting and taboo, and the kids will want to see it and uh, play with it, or you can show them how it works, like disassemble it, show them the mechanics of it, um, let them handle it, obviously in an unloaded and safe manner, while teaching them all these rules. Um, and I've definitely gone for that second side of it. My three kids, you know, they'll ask to see how it works. So we disassemble the AR, the Glock, or, and they look at, oh, this is the trigger and how it releases the hammer. And um, they know all the components of it. Um, and they, you know, they don't even really play Nerf guns that well in the house because they have the whole keep your finger off the trigger drilled into them so much mm-hmm. that, it's just kind of a, a funny thing there, but um, yeah, we definitely, I keep them all locked up obviously, mm-hmm. but I have no doubt that if one of them were to come into contact with the firearm, they would have no problem knowing the rules, staying away from it simply because there isn't that unknown taboo to it. You know, they, they know what they are and they know how they work. Yeah. That's one of my, one of my few original contributions to the ASP universe is Talk to your kids about your guns. Um, make them safe. Let them let them uh, dry fire them. Let them work the action. You know, make them familiar with them. Give them, you know, obviously the information they need, which is that you know this is this is not to be touched out of. You know, if you ever want to see it, just let me know. You know, we'll we'll take them out. We'll we'll mess around with them again. Not a big deal. But you just can't do it without you know without mom or dad around. That's all. So I'm glad I have one thing I've contributed to the channel, which is that. All right. So let's talk about lessons. Um, I think. Number one lesson from from this incident is be trained, be prepared, and be armed. You have to be armed and trained uh, to respond to something like this um, effectively. And also the mental reps. You talked about it. 
you know, having the mental rep in. And now someone listens, you know, tens of thousands of people a month listen to this show, I'm proud to say. And so these, all these people are getting this mental rep, hearing your story. They hadn't thought, what if, you know, what if a shooting happens adjacent to me and I'm with my family? What am I going to do? So be prepared, be trained, be armed, be ready, have had that conversation with yourself. Am I willing to employ deadly force if I need to? That's not a conversation you want to have in the moment when it may become necessary. Uh, removing yourself from the situation is the always, always the best answer if it's feasible. So getting the heck out of there, get off the X, don't freeze up. Uh, if you can escape and get away and get your family away, do that. That's exactly what you did. I think you handled that perfectly. Um, and I think the the big thing I want to come away with here is, is, and I didn't think that at the beginning of the show, but I'm thinking now that the, the big takeaway is, hey, if you're the defender, talk to your family. If you and your significant other are both defenders, talk to your family, talk to each other, uh, assign roles if you can. You know, Like I said, you talk to your kids about what happens if there's a fire. We have a window ladder or we have this route of escape and we're going to meet here, you know, like a fire drill at school. So are you planning now, I'll put you on the spot, Phil, are you planning to have this detailed conversation with your lovely wife today? I think it's a good plan. We'll do it as soon as I'm done. I like it. So, so folks, if you're listening, well, of course you're listening or else you wouldn't hear me say this. If you're out there paying attention, let's put it that way. If you're paying attention uh, and you're the defender, yeah, have that conversation. Don't don't put it off for a few days. Have it today because today could be the day that some bad stuff happens. Certainly, Phil wasn't expecting this. He was on a lovely vacation visiting a place he loved to go that is relatively low crime. And what do you know? There was a shooting right next to him, and he had to act quickly, and that's exactly what he did. Real quick. Don't forget to stick around for the Gutowski Files following this exciting episode. Hey, do me a favor. Again, if you're listening and paying attention, tell a friend about this show. Tell your buddies at the range. Tell your buddies in your shooting club. Tell your friends and family about the show. And if you can, leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen. Five-star reviews are appreciated. And uh, Phil, was there anything you wanted to add before we part ways? I don't want to miss anything. No, I don't think so. I just want to say thanks so much for everything that you do and for the podcast. It's um, it's the highlight of my week, getting able to listen to it and hear these stories and get those mental reps in. I appreciate all that you guys do. I love it. Hey, man, if it weren't for people like you reaching out to tell your story, there wouldn't be a show. So thank you for reaching out. And folks, again, if you have a story and you're not sure if it's podcast worthy, you got to let me know and, and we'll talk about it. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I'd hate to miss uh, a good mental rep for our listeners out there. So again, Phil, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate you. Have a great day. The main interview is over, and you know what that means. It's time for your favorite weekly segment, The Gutowski Files, featuring and or starring Stephen Gutowski. He is your favorite investigative reporter. He is the host of the Weekly Reload podcast and the founder of TheReload.com. Stephen, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. I like to think of this as the main interview, though. Concur. Uh, You're right. You know, I'm sorry. Just, um, it's not nearly as exciting or... <laughs> Uh, you, you can't learn a lot about self-defense from it, but, uh, you know, I'm involved. So that, that makes it super important. Definitely clearly. informative. I, you know, we're getting, we get, uh, <laughs> we're getting quite a few good reviews, five-star reviews on Apple podcast. And we're, I guess people can leave comments now on Spotify. I don't think the public can see them, but I can. And, uh, a lot of them uh. mention either Gutowski misspelled terribly or the reload. Um, so people <laughs> are listening to this segment. They are sticking around for the whole thing, which I appreciate. Well, at least they can spell reload. Correct. A little. It's the reload, by the way, if you're looking for it online. Folks, I appreciate you listening. I can't tell you enough. uh, There wouldn't be a show if you didn't pay attention and tune in every week. So thank you so much. If you haven't already, go leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen and try to say something nice about me. If you can manage that. This week, 
couple things are going on. We're going to talk about an article over at The Reload by uh, reporter Jake Fogelman. And I have to warn you in advance, I have a very small puppy in my lap right now as we speak. It's not a video podcast. Yeah, we got to get to the video podcast so people can see. Agreed. Uh, your beautiful bald head and that adorable puppy. Uh, he is pretty cute. His name is Rocco. He is the official mascot of the Active Cell Protection Podcast. So uh, if you're interested, um, let me know. We'll see if we can get pictures out there because I think his public demands it. Anyway, so the article we're talking about today uh, over at TheReload.com, it is an analysis piece, as I said, by Jake Fogelman, and it is entitled, Why California's Attorney General Can't Defend the State's Gun Litigation Law. Now, this is a member exclusive, so you're fortunate to be listening to this to get the gist of it, because mm-hmm. otherwise you'd have to go pay money. Uh, talk to us about what Attorney Attorney General Rob uh, Bonta is is going on. He's Is he Republican? He's Republican, right? No, he's a, he's a Democrat. No, it's really? California. Oh, I was just it's kidding. California. It's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> so tell us what's going on there with those, those crazy Californians, Stephen. Yeah, so uh, we've talked about this in the podcast in the past, but California passed a copycat law for Texas's abortion bounty law. You probably, people have probably heard a lot about that law as well in the lead up to uh, overturning Roe v. It actually kind of became a, a moot point because the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. after they passed this this bounty law that was sort of designed to try and get around Roe v. Wade. But uh, after that happened, uh, the sort of predictable result was that California, that blue states were going to start uh, adopting the same basic policy, but on issues that they wanted to sort of attack their opponents on. And so California went with guns, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the provisions, this is sort of a less known provision, is – one that involves fee shifting in litigation. So if you sue the state over one of its gun laws, right? If you're in California and you sue the state over its gun laws, uh, you now under this law would have to pay for the state's legal fees. You and your lawyers, which is also an unusual bit about this. Mm-hmm. Usually the lawyers, you're, the people you get to represent you aren't liable for for anything if, the, if you don't win a case. But uh, in this circumstance, you know, sometimes if you if you lose a case or if the government loses a case or uh, in some circumstances, you might have to pay the legal fees of the, the winning side. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, this takes that concept and says, if you lose any portion of your case, then you have to pay the government's fees and that they're the only ones who can uh, benefit from this provision. So. By that you mean so if the, even if, if, if you win yeah so but if if yeah, if you win the government's not paying your legal fees right this is one way street right and if, but even if you win on say you have like four different points that you're challenging this law under if you win on three of those and lose on one you have to pay the state uh, and so the effect of this as you might imagine is that uh, gun rights groups have bowed out of a number of challenges. Uh, they're sort of prioritizing, right? They're they're only going with certain claims that they're absolutely sure that they can win with. Makes sense, yeah. And um, and so you know the effect is is a uh, a chilling effect, right? As you often hear with with these sorts of of laws, it causes people not to challenge these laws. And it's also uh, there's also the issue, of course, that uh, this applies as well for federal cases which is something that the state can't necessarily tell the federal government that they, the federal judges that they have to award um, legal fees to the 
uh, the people who lose. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's almost definitely not the case. Yeah, generally it's not, and it's, uh, it's sort of you get issues of the you know, supremacy issues, like uh, you know the Constitution allows you to sue state governments for laws that violate the Constitution, right. and so um, the, a state can't necessarily put conditions on uh, when you can sue in federal court, if that makes sense. Uh, so. This law uh, is very has been very controversial. It's sort of a, but also not really widely talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, California passed it as a way of like doing a tit for tat with Texas. Right. So you know you pass that in Texas, we're going to pass it in California, but on something that you Texans like, you know, your guns or whatever. And so, um, as a result of this, the nature of this law and how it was passed, the Attorney General of California, Rob Bonta, had previously called this exact provision unconstitutional when he was talking about the Texas uh, version of it. And so the problem with that is that Rob Bonta is an attorney who is tasked with defending the laws of California. And, um, you know, under legal ethics, you can't put forward arguments in court that are basically aren't in good faith or that you don't actually believe. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, you can actually be sanctioned for doing that. Um, and uh, a gun rights group there, one of the gun rights groups, the California rifle um, and pistol association, which is, uh, I believe an NRA affiliate, but they uh, actually ch- served a, a rule 11 sanction motion against Rob Bonta in the lead up to him bowing out of defending this law. And so effectively, if they had succeeded with that motion, he would have, he could have been sanctioned by the, by the federal courts for putting forth uh, arguments that he uh, doesn't actually believe. And so uh, it's sort of a, a really embarrassing situation. Sometimes this happens, right? You'll, occasionally you will see the government, uh, like the, the attorney general or somebody who's tasked with defending a state's law or even, even a federal law, uh, decide not to do so and, you know, they'll decline to defend the law and and usually somebody else will come in uh this happened a lot with uh, gay marriage bans a few you know a few years back where uh, in california actually it happened in california where the attorney general refused to defend the uh the the gay marriage ban that was passed by popular vote you know yeah, back in the prop eight back 20, in yeah, yeah 2012 was, two, I think. was it yeah, it was a long time ago yeah. at this point, but but you get everyone remembers that situation, and and so, um, but usually that happens because the administration is, uh, you know, the law was passed by an old administration or by the voters or what have you, and the people in power who are tasked with defending it don't agree with the law, and so they they don't go and defend it. In this case, it's sort of more embarrassing because it's like this law was passed by this administration it was just passed. And now their AG has to bow out of defending it. And so the go- the governor is, is going to step in and defend it instead. Um, but, it, you know, it's interesting at the same time because the AG called this, this same provision unconstitutional in Texas's law, uh, but he was actively avoiding having this confrontation in California. He was trying not to get this law reviewed. What, what California wants is for the Texas law to get uh, ruled on first. Uh, they want to see 
basically, I mean, it's the same idea, right? That if Texas is going to be able to enforce their version of this law, we want to enforce our version, even if we don't think this is a constitutional law. Uh, you sort of get this sort of out of spite was the motivation for all of this. Um, and so they don't want their law to get challenged for, before the Texas law or or get ruled on in court before the Texas law. But uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to work out that way because um, the federal judge who's over, overseeing a number of gun rights cases in California now, uh, Judge uh, Benitez, has already agreed to hear this case uh, against this fee shifting provision and it's it's seems likely that he's going to uh, rule against it before a ruling comes down on the texas law um, but the but the ag had been trying to avoid that by effectively saying in all the gun litigation cases that the state was voluntarily not enforcing their law uh so that Essentially, the plaintiffs wouldn't have standing when it came time to sue over it. There have been a couple of attempts to get federal judges to rule on this provision already, uh, but none of them have been successful because of the attorney general's uh, sort of um, (laughs) avoiding the issue altogether by just saying in court that they won't seek legal fees under the provision. So uh, you know, it's not exactly like it might sound from, you know, his quotes that this is sort of a principled thing. He said, um, at this time, the attorney general is not in a possession to defend the merits of a provision indistinguishable in relevant part from a vision that he has opined is unconstitutional. That was a quote from, uh, the brief that the attorney general filed in the case, but this isn't really you know, an act of principle. It's not, it's not as though Rob Bontes sort of went rogue against California Democrats and, and is now, you know, refusing to enforce the law because he thinks it's unconstitutional. I mean, he went around for quite a while there trying to avoid review of this law through uh, maneuvering in the courts. So it was more like he just kind of ran out of time. And once, once judge Benitez said he was going to review this law in, in, these other gun rights cases, he couldn't play that game anymore. And now he's sort of forced to bow out kind of by uh, the gun rights advocates there. The California Rifle and Pistol Association did their own legal maneuvering that sort of seems to have resulted in this, at least. Interesting stuff. I was going to read the first line of, of Jake's article, which I think this line alone, assuming it's an original, should get him a raise. Quote, the problem with using legislation to fight the culture war is you might tie yourself in knots trying to own the other side. That is a genius. Um, those words in that order is the best thing I've read all week. And he's absolutely right. Folks, we are short on time. Plus, Rocco's getting squirmy. So this week, if you made it this far, do me a favor and uh, leave a review and have it entitled Rocco, R-O-C-C-O. And tell us, uh, tell us how much you can't wait to see him when we go video. Stephen, I really appreciate your time. Always a pleasure, my friend. And I'll see you next week. Absolutely. Hey, friends, this is John Correa. If you like the podcast, if it is bringing you value, do me a favor and leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. 